0: A speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. It's Superman, man of Superman, Superman marketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, Mild Planet Reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers far beyond those of ordinary mortals. It's Superman, Superman! Superman! Superman!
1: Superman! The man of screams. Hey everybody! Welcome to episode seventy-nine of the Man of podcast. I am your host, Mike Zuma, and this is it. On this episode, we are going to complete my coverage of season one of the New Adventures of Superman and season one of the New Adventures of Superboy, which were pro- produced by Filmation. Thirty-six Superman episodes and eighteen Superboy episodes brings us the end of season one. And despite the fact that we have seasons two and three coming up, this being the ninth. This being my ninth episode 9 of 17, so this episode will put us over the halfway point in my coverage. I guess the first segment ends the first half and the second segment will begin the second as this shorter leg of the podcast is winding uh, on more of a downhill trajectory. After this, there will be eight more episodes covering the Filmation Cartoons before I move on to the next subject matter. But before I get to this week's business, I have some feedback to address as always, and this is coming from Dave McLevenny. Dave is writing in on episode 72, I think? Anyway, it's the episode in which I spoke about the chimp who made it big. So Dave, uh writes, Greetings Mike. Some decent, but not spectacular stories here, which is to be expected I guess. The stories are pretty short, and the budget seemed to be on the small side, but in those days I don't think anyone was pouring big money into a Saturday morning cartoon for kids. In the Superman segment, I was both interested in the chimp who made it big, because it's basically the Titano story, just without calling him Titano. There are some differences besides the name, though since his ape's kryptonite vision wore off, he shrank back to normal size, and he didn't get sent back in time to hang out with dinosaurs, as Titano did in the comic. In any event, I am reminded of the DC rule that everything better with monkeys and i'm gonna stick dave uh on hold for a minute here and i don't know if that's just a dc role i think that's you know something that's accepted across the board that everything is better with monkeys even the adventures of superman had a monkey mystery so even the adventures of superman much loved by everybody was better because it had a monkey involved at least for one episode now back to dave i always like suit the superboy with crypto segments best because who doesn't love stories of a boy and his dog you asked if crypto spent time as Clark Kent's dog. I don't think that happened very much at all in the Silver Age. Generally, whenever Crypto wasn't with Superboy, he'd be off playing in space, chasing meteors and such, or having his own adventures with the Legion of Super Pets or the SPCA, Space Canine Patrol Agents. In the Bronze Age, Crypto did sometimes appear in the guise of Skip by using a dye, maybe brown shoe polish, To make a patch on his back, which he would burn off with his heat when he wanted to change back to crypto. Man, I miss Superboy. Superman when he was a boy, not a clone or Superman's son. But then, I'm old. I recently saw a comment on a Facebook page dedicated to the Legion of Superheroes, one of the most divided segments of fandom you'll ever find, referring to older fans like me, the Silver Age Legion, as fanpas A mashup of fanboys and grandpas. And I decided that I liked the term and accepted it as uh, descriptive of me and my tribe. I can still read or view different versions of my favorite characters, and sometimes enjoy them. Never fear, though, as you continue through the various incarnations of the Man of Steel, I'll be listening in and commenting, no matter what era you're covering. I'll live long and prosper, Dave. Well, thank you, Dave. Uh, As always, I'm glad to have you around, and I'm glad to have any of you around, you know. I sit here and ramble about Superman, live action, and cartoons, and it continues to amaze me that anybody wants to listen to me talk about this stuff, but... There it is. Now, when Dave talks about, uh, I had wondered in a previous episode about what Crypto did in his spare time, so I'd like to thank Dave for informing me and kind of filling in the gaps of my Silver Age knowledge there. And I, don't, I really don't have anything to add about uh, what Dave said about the Legion of Superheroes. I wasn't necessarily aware that most of the segment of fandom of that Property was divided. I just always assumed everybody liked all of the pre-crisis Legion stuff and had a hard time keeping up with everything that happened post-crisis. And uh, Dave, uh, you'll be happy to know that well down the line there will be Legion of Superheroes coverage on this podcast. As there was a cartoon, I believe it was sometime in, in the two thousand, Superman and the Legion of Superheroes. I watched. I've watched an episode or two when it was available on Amazon Prime. I never got around to watching all of it, but from what I saw, it was basically uh like. Clark Kent, after he graduated high school, uh, was brought into the future to work with the Legion of Superheroes. So he was not quite Superboy. I think that was around the time where there was some where there was a lawsuit with the heirs to uh, Jerry Siegel, and there was a question of whether or not DC or Warner Brothers was allowed to use Superboy. So. They probably just swiped out Superboy with Superman and kind of put him in his late teens or early 20s, kind of a Superman in training show. From what I had gathered from the episode that I had watched, I watched a couple, the first few, was that he wasn't known as Superman in the 20th century, and he actually got his suit in the future, which, again, is, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but I'll discuss that more at length, but there will be Legion coverage on this podcast, so for any of you Legion fans, that's something to look forward to well down the line. Also, I've got some Facebook feedback, well, this really isn't really feedback, this was a question from from doug meacham and he put this on the group a few some time ago and i just wanted to respond here i'd responded to doug on the facebook group but wanted to put that here on an episode doug wrote mike just out of curiosity would you consider doing a bat of screen podcast when you eventually wrap this one up the only thing i'm going to say to that is doug i hadn't even considered what i would do when i eventually wrap this one up I hope I can keep this going long enough to wrap it up to get to whatever my endpoint of this is. At one point, I considered my endpoint being Batman v Superman because because I'd covered that early in the show on some specials, but with, with the Justice League action cartoon out there and whatever comes out, Krypton is coming out. However long that lasts, there's going to be stuff that I'm not going to be able to cover as it comes out that I'm going to want to get to down the line, as long as I can keep this going. And this was always more of a retrospective-type podcast anyway, so it might be interesting to uh, come back to some of the things that I've done as Man of Screen specials or extras and do retrospectives on them, aside from my reaction to to them when they first came out probably an interesting contrast but as far as the Bat of screen podcast i don't know if i i don't have the same love of batman that i do superman i mean batman is still one of my favorite characters but superman was the one who was always with me. i mean yeah i dabbled in some batman i i don't have the love of the i'm let's just put it this way i'm no fan of the 60s batman with Adam west i respect his place in batman history i respect what it did for the character at the time but that's really not an interpretation of Batman that I would really probably want to cover. And there are so many podcasts out there that have done the series, at least I imagine I haven't looked for them, but I imagine there are plenty of people who have gone through and covered the, the Batman series that I don't know if I have anything to add to that conversation. I believe I have a lot to give to conversations about the Superman shows that, that have been made, but I don't know if I have the same zeal for Batman. I might do Man of Screen extras down the line, uh about the Batman movies that that have come out. It might be interesting to, uh you know, when I get to 1989, and I'm still 20 years, 22 years away from that, in 1966, but when I'm covering Superboy, it might be interesting to do a Man of Screen extra around that time of of Batman 89 and Batman Returns and the Burton movies and the Schumacher movies and even the Nolans down the line. So, long story short, there are no plans at the moment or ever for a Bat of Screen podcast. I imagine once I finish this, whenever this is, i guess i'll decide then whether or not i have another podcast in me but i don't think it's something i'd really want to commit to at this or any other stuff so. thanks doug for your question there probably will not be a batter screen podcast but you know you never know there might be some batman coverage down the line so that being said i'm going to take a quick break play a podcast promo and then i'm going to come back with superman meets brainiac the Superboy segment a devil of a time and the superman segment seeds of disaster hang around folks
2: Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, hosted by Ryan Daly
3: and Chris Franklin. Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths.
2: Highlights from this legendary era include... Batman No. 400. Legends. Mike Barr and Alan Davis. Batman Year One.
3: Batman Year Two.
2: Max Allen Collins. Ugh. Um, the new Jason Todd. Ugh. Millennium?
3: You're not doing this right. Let me take over. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh, yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family.
2: Batman Year 3.
3: A Lonely Place of Dying.
2: Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Collins. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman?
3: The Rise of Tim Drake.
2: Legends of the Dark Knight.
3: And that's just up until 1989.
2: Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that?
3: You'll have to tune in to
2: find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network.
3: Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com.
2: Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, When Batman Fires Dick Grayson.
1: You want to find another co-host? Alright, welcome back folks. The first segment that I'm going to talk about in this episode, original broadcast date was December 31st, 1966, New Year's Eve, and the first episode was Superman Episode Superman Meets Brainiac by Oscar Benson. A robot called Brainiac is stealing animals two by two from a local circus to repopulate a dying world. When he encounters Lois Lane and Superman, he shrinks them to take them along, Superman has other ideas, and stops Brainiac with Lois' help. And all of our synopses on this episode will be brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information. So, Superman meets Brainiac. Apparently, Superman is meeting Brainiac after he returns. Despite the... Air dates and obvious, obviously this show really didn't have much of a mind toward continuity, which is interesting because all the Warlock appearances are in relatively decent order. Superman met the Warlock before the Warlock returned to seek his revenge, but it was strange that this particular episode was so late in the season's run when when the Brainiac returns episode was so early in the run. If you look up this show on IMDb, you'll see that this set of three is toward the top of the season. Yet it doesn't change the fact that the air date was in December where the return of Brainiac was somewhere in either late September or early October. So as for our notes on this one, apparently uh, we are at the Circus. This time, the Daily Planet is raising money for the Metropolis Orphanage, and Superman is on display, showing up a very fine display of strength. Superman will never shy away from doing something to raise money for kids in the orphanage. Here is Lois Lane talking into a microphone, doing some commentary. And the narration is telling us that Lois is holding a microphone as we watch her hold the microphone. So now that Superman's done uh, holding up the elephants, uh, here comes the ringmaster, and the gorillas are unavailable.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we regret to inform you that due to unforeseen circumstances beyond our control, the gorillas are not available to perform with Superman. We can't imagine what could have happened. Be sure to tune in to the Daily Planet News program at 5. Until then, the long...
1: Which is interesting, you know, you would think the gorillas would be right where the, uh, animal trainers left them, but they are not. Now, I like how Lois, you know, after she hears this, despite her shock at there being no gorillas, she's still quick enough to plug the Daily Planet news show at 5. You can tell she's had some good training. And this is before Lois and Clark, at least before Clark, that is, in the Bronze Age, became a TV newsman with WGBS. This is before that happened, that didn't happen until around the 70s, but if you'll remember in our coverage of The Adventures of Superman, there was once in a while that Clark Kent would show up on, uh, TV or on the Daily kind Planet of radio show. So something like that, like what Lois is doing here, is not completely without precedent. So the circus is having a bad day, the gorillas are gone, they've also lost two giraffes and two camels. Someone is either doing a very bad job of keeping track of these animals, or something much more duplicitous is going on.
0: What happened to the gorillas? They've disappeared, Superman. One minute they were in their cages, the next minute they vanished. That's strange. What's more, last night... Two giraffes disappeared, and this morning, we found two camels missing. I tell you, Superman, I smell a rat. I smell a story.
1: Now, I do like how Superman and the Ringmaster talk close enough that Lois can listen in, and, you know, she wants the story. Good Lois. She's going to get this on her own, and I've said this before, and it bears repeating. I prefer Lois Lane when she is finding stories on her own, you know, getting into trouble on her own is fine and getting arrested by Superman is fine, but it really irks me when Lois is trying to sabotage Clark's story so she can steal it from him. You know, that just seems duplicitous and underhanded and not what you would expect colleagues to do to each other. At least one that are working for the same paper. They would each have their own separate versions of the assignment to do. Yeah, I can understand Lois wanting, wanting better, but there are better ways to do that than uh, making your co-workers look foolish. But fortunately, none of that here. After our transition, we see a green figure shrinking the elephants. Yep, it's Brainiac. And he is in absolutely no hurry. And he's paying no never mind to Superman, who's kind of just hanging around watching. Brainiac is just doing his thing. So Superman goes at the Brainiac, and he turns invisible. And you can tell from the way the characters are reacting. They clearly don't know who Brainiac is. So I don't know if this was finished late or what, but this story definitely took place before the previous Brainiac story. So Lois asks why he's doing this, and Brainiac tells them about Megar, which...
4: Why is he after the animals?
1: <laughs> animals must take Earth
0: creatures of every type, including man and woman. You are perfect specimens. I am taking you with me. Oh, no! Stand back, Miss Lane. This is a shield of force. No power (laughs) in the universe can penetrate it. This is impossible. Now, I take you, both of you.
1: He's basically building Noah's Ark. And Superman and Lois have found the missing animals, and Superman makes the Noah's Ark connection. And then Brainiac, you know, picks up Superman like he's a doll, and he Superman demands some answers. And we're getting a lot of mileage here out of Brainiac and his shrinking ray. We saw the shrinking ray in the Return of Brainiac story. He's basically using the shrinking ray to shrink the animals and kind of put them in drawers or whatnot for their voyage back to Mega. So after Superman demands answers, Brainiac gives the villain expositional plot dump. Who are you?
0: Where do you come from? I am Brainiac from the planet Mega. Planet Mega? There's no life on Mega. No living creatures are known to have survived Mega's atomic wars. Only one man, the brilliant Professor Hecla survived. He put me together. I am a computer. <gasps> a
4: computer?
0: Yes. Professor Heckler, programmed me to come here and collect specimens of Earth creatures to repopulate Mega. When we arrive there, you will be restored to normal size.
1: Enough talk. And apparently uh, Superman knew of Brainiac's home planet, Mega's Atomic Wars, like I said in the previous time. In this show, Brainiac is from Mega and not Kalu. Brainiac basically wants to repopulate the planet and he will stop at nothing to do just that. And I guess he's figuring that nobody's going to miss, you know. ...a male and female of each animal. So Superman breaks out of the little drawer therein, in... ...and Brainiac is now going to kill Superman because he's trouble. And uh, Superman x-rays Brainiac's head... ...and has Lois turn on her radio transmitter... ...because he his x-ray vision revealed that Brainiac has a robotic brain. And basically, uh, Brainiac has a short-out Brainiac... ...and uh, there are some little sparks above his head. And it's interesting Brainiac has this scared look on his face. It's probably just the animation uh, trying to display a look of shock. It looks rather humorous. But Brainiac escapes... So this gives Lois and Superman an opportunity to to enlarge themselves back to normal size. And they escape. And as they're flying away, and before Superman can take Brainiac's uh, stuff to get studied, the ship blows up. And I'm just sitting here, thinking to myself, does that mean all the circus animals blew up as well? I mean, I'm not sure if kids are making this connection, but we never saw anything that indicates Superman and Lois went back to save those circus animals. So when this ship blew up... I have to assume that the, the animals blew up with it. And if kids watching the show realize that, I can only imagine how distraught they would be knowing that all the animals died. And honestly, that hapless ringmaster from early on in the episode would be pretty upset when he realizes that, you know what, they found out who took the animals, but all the animals seem to be casualties. You know, we never go back to the circus and we just go right back to our ending. What's up, Lois?
0: Nothing much. I just beat the great Clark Kent on another scoop. <laughs> Please, Lois, don't go out of your way to make me feel small
1: again. Ha ha, you know, I'll play on uh, the shrinking ray that they recently faced, but you know, as this episode ends, I still can't get over the fact that all those animals seemingly died in that exploding ship. Just, wow. I'll I'll bet you didn't think I'd be talking about such heavy stuff covering the filmmation cartoons, but there you go, food for thought. I wonder if anybody else thought of that. If you thought about that too while watching this episode, uh, send me an email and let me know. I'd be interested to hear what you think. But this does take care of our initial meeting with Brainiac. This, this explains how Lois recognizes the ship in the return of Brainiac. And the show, like I mentioned, probably would have been better served if this episode aired earlier in them, but maybe this episode took a little bit longer to finish or something. Maybe the episode was running out of time and they took out Superman rescuing the animals. But well, let's move on. <laughs> So the Superboy said, a devil of a time, and this was written by Oscar Benson. Dressed in a devil costume for a fancy dress party, Clark Kent spots two criminals talking in a far off park. Flying off in his devil costume, Superboy frightens the criminals into thinking he's really the devil. Look Trigger, I got
0: a fortune in counterfeit money stashed in my printing plan. Now help me turn it into real money and I'll cut you in for half. Okay Scorch, you got yourself a deal.
4: <laughs> Greetings my sneaky friends. Oh, uh-huh. it's the devil. You... you call us your friends? Certainly! You work for the Devil's cause by performing evil deeds. So, I am here to offer you a bonus.
0: What do you mean, bonus? Wait! The Devil don't do favors for nothing. There must be a catch. Yeah. What's your price?
4: I'll grant you three wishes. If you'll grant me, just one.
0: Three wishes for one? I like the odds. What can we lose? Okay, Devil, it's a deal. Uh, Bring us, uh, let's see, uh, bring us the biggest diamond in the world, okay, Bemis? Sure,
1: okay. All right, don't go away now. This may take a few seconds. Each wish they ask for backfires as Superboy cleverly twists their words against them, finally tricking them into giving themselves up. Here we
4: are. You'll be safe here. Look, Scorch, those flames.
1: Yeah,
0: he brought us to the other place.
4: Oh, it's so good to be home again.
0: You double-crosser, you tricked us!
4: Well, that's not true. I've kept my end of the bargain. Now you grant me my wish, and I'll gladly return you to the Earth. Anything, anything. What do you want us to do? Write down every crime you ever committed and name the pals who helped you. This is for our... our record of outstanding evildoers. Okay, okay.
0: Anything to get out of here. Oh, no.
1: All right, so this one was kind of interesting. Uh, this is an episode you would think would uh, be shown around Halloween and not necessarily New Year's Eve, but well, whatever. In a rather remarkable coincidence, this episode is going actually to drop on Halloween. I did not plan it this way. This is just kind of how it fell, so why not? I'll take it. I seriously doubt I'm going to get the Lois and Clark Christmas episodes to line up, so it's kind of cool that this lined up completely by accident. So we're starting off with a masquerade ball, and we see Lana dressed as, uh, I believe that's a fairy, and Clark shows up dressed as the devil, which is kind of interesting because that's really the opposite of what he is supposed to be a Superboy. And if you look closely, with his, even with his devil's mask on, Clark is still wearing his glasses over the mask. Uh, I wonder how it fits, His my glasses tend to not fit as well. As my hair grows, I couldn't imagine putting them on over a callus. But we're going to see even, even in his devil costume, Clark is too scared to dance with Lana. Still got to keep up appearances. So, apparently the police asked Superboy to watch out for some crooks. And he finds his two men as they're waiting by the water and he just assumes they're up to no good. I think this is jumping the gun a little here. You know, I'm all about being proactive, but a crime hasn't been committed until it's been committed and sitting on a bench... It's not a crime. At least not as far as I know. Yet.
4: I'm sure that's Trigger Bemis, the big city hood the police chief asked me to watch out for. And that's Big Scorch he's talking to. I'm sure they're up to no good. Think I'd better pay them a visit as Superboy. No. Got a better idea. Go as I am. These rocks contain inflammable magnesium. Perfect. Perfect. I'll make an explosive appearance. Hope no one sees me flying in this costume.
1: And then, uh, oh, of course, Superboy in his devil costume. He he could change it to Superboy, but he's going to have a little fun with these two crooks, uh, Scorch and Trigger. And, of course, they are up to no good, as Scorch wants Trigger to help him with a counterfeit operation. And Superboy will show up in a nice little plume of smoke and pretends to be a devil. Or the devil, rather. And these guys make a deal with him. And they're pretty gullible. And Superboy gives them three wishes. Their first, the biggest diamond in the world. And now here's Superboy turning a giant piece of carbon into a diamond, and Scorch is gonna put the diamond in his safe. I'm not sure where, what kind of safe he has that can fit something this large, but somehow I don't think Scorch has a big uh floor safe. So they turn down the diamond and they want cash instead. And it was rather humor seeing Trigger hold that giant diamond. Looked like it weighed more than he did, so. Their second wish, a million dollars in cash. Superboy brings them their own counterfeit money and destroys the machine for good measure. So he tells them it's one million dollars, but it's safe, which Scorch knows is counterfeit. Now they know something is wrong, but they keep on wishing. I mean, wouldn't you? I guess they're going to wish that the third wish will turn out better for them. I don't see how that could happen, but, you know, they're they're wishing and they're hoping. So wish three is... Here I am, back in a flash with the cash. He really got it. A
0: million bucks. Yeah, devil, where did you get it?
4: From the safe in your printing plant. From
0: the safe in my... Hey, it's phony. You ought
4: to know. You made it yourself. You double-crossed us. The... No, did it isn't. It's a million dollars, isn't it? Incidentally, when I broke into your warehouse,
0: I called the police. Oh, no. Now the cops will find my phony plate. Let's get out of here.
4: Not so fast. We made a bargain. You still have one wish left.
0: Okay, uh, our third wish is, uh, take us to a hideout where the cops can't reach us. Can you do that? With pleasure. Here we go.
1: Bringing them to a hideout where the cops can't find them. So Superboy brings them to the volcano, volcano. uh, the police definitely aren't gonna reach them here. And you can't say hell in a kid's cartoon, so they just kind of describe the volcano as the other place. Being the Superboy is dressed as the devil, and that there is flames and fire and brimstone all around them. Yeah, they're returning to hell, but this and not the other place. So now Superboy's turn. He wants a full confession and they give it up to get out of the... And after they're done, they find themselves in the presence of a smiling Superboy who was taking great joy and putting one over on these guys. It's good to see uh, Superboy having some fun while doing his job. So Superboy beats some dumb criminals and is back with Lana on the rooftop. There you
4: are, Clark. Where have you been? Oh, I've been having
1: a devil of a time. And, you know, I mentioned that Superboy's being proactive. He couldn't really arrest them for the crime they were about to commit, but he didn't manage to find the evidence of crime they committed for confessions, and I'm pretty sure what happened here qualifies as duress, so I'm not sure if this is going to be admissible in court, but I guess we'll see. Good bit. Now, it was fun. Not much else to say about it, but I <laughs> enjoyed watching Superboy rake these two idiots over the coals, and good, smart bit. <laughs> Now we're going to move on to Seeds of Disaster, and I believe this is written to as well. And our synopsis is as follows. <laughs> Strange pods from space settle to Earth, releasing seeds which quickly grow into large destructive plants. Superman flies around destroying the plants, but is warned that there are way too many for even him to stop before the Earth is completely destroyed. With a plan in mind, Superman takes a large lens into space, and with sunlight and heat vision, manages to destroy all the space pods before they release their deadly seeds. Alright, so Superman against the plants. It's a nice summer day, and a seed pod just kind of falls out of the sky, opens, the window blows, and the seed is growing like crazy. And we got a guy who's all tied up in a bunch of weeds. Superman pulls it apart, and the planet attacks Superman. And Superman will burn the root with the heat vision and fly off. So, back at the Daily Planet, Clark is telling Perry about the pod, and... You know, Perry, if more than one of those peculiar
0: space pods fell on our planet, we'd really have something to worry about. Better start worrying, Kent. Listen to this. Strange space pod falls at Florida Missile Base. Giant rocket in danger. Hey, where are you going?
1: This is a job for Superman. We find out that one falls on a missile base, and Superman is again off to the races. And then we see that a plant is wrapped around a rocket. Superman shows up at the base and orders some liquid oxygen, like you would order a cheeseburger. And the men bring it to him, because why not? I guess his super freeze breath hadn't been uh, established very well yet, because nowadays Superman would just probably, if he wanted to freeze something, he would just use his own breath to do it. Superman freezes the plant, punches it and breaks it, and Superman will fly off. And we're going to see a coloring error here as Superman is flying, as the colors on Superman's S seem to be inverted, red right where the yellow should be, and vice versa. Now this time Superman grabs a ship anchor and chops down a plant like it's a tree, and he actually swings the anchor around and it functions uh, kind of like an axe. So now the Navy is sending Superman to Washington, and there's a plant in Washington squeezing the Capitol building. I'm sure some of you right now would like to send something to squeeze the Capitol building, don't do this. Sending a plant to squeeze the Capitol building will solve none of your problems. And now this time, Superman goes some liquid weed killer and injects it into the plant, killing that one. And, you know, Superman is hoping that's the last of the plants, but the scientists tell him the true danger is the pods, and that Superman can't destroy all of the pods.
0: There. Now, I hope this is the last of those pernicious plants. Not a chance, Superman. I'm afraid now even you can't save the world from the true danger of these plants. The true danger? What do you mean? Come, let me show you. Look at this, a new seed pod. It and others like it are already opening. Soon the Earth will be covered with these plants. Then I'll have to destroy the pods before the seeds can fly. Too late? Already there are so many in widely scattered parts of the globe, even you could never destroy all of them in time. I think I can. And I'm going to let the Earth itself give me that help. Up, up, and away!
1: Those of you pet owners who have had to fight fleas can probably sympathize with Superman's predicament right here. No matter how many of those things you kill, there always seems to be thousands more, and it's frustrating. So, this is interesting. Superman brings his lens into space and he uh, focuses the uh, sun's rays through the lens. He kind of holds it over his head and lets the uh, sun rays beam down on the earth, and he uses the and he uses the focused sun rays to destroy the plants. It's amazing he could do this without destroying anything else. Just the plant. Now maybe he put something special in the sun rays that only destroy the alien uh, plant from the seed pots. Now as I think about it, I wonder if this will work on fleas. And get rid of those uh, eggs somehow. For the ending.
0: You know, Kent, that was pretty good thinking on Superman's part. I mean, using the Earth's rotation to kill the plants. Uh-huh. But you'd better do some quick thinking, Perry. About what you want to eat. That waiter is giving us the eye. Okay, I'll have steak and a baked potato. But I think I'll start with a nice big green salad. How about you? Same for me, except for the salad. I, uh, well, I just
1: don't have any appetite for greens today. Can you blame them? I mean honestly. So, not a bad episode. Superman against uh, some rampaging plants. Nothing spectacular, but it was kind of entertaining seeing Superman try to uh, fight the uh, the plant epidemic or infestation. With these three done, I'm going to take a podcast promo break, and when I come back, I'm going to finish up Season 1 of The New Adventures of Superman and The Adventures of Superboy with Superman episode The Malevolent Mummy, the Superboy episode Re- Revolt of Robotville, and the Birdmen from Lost Valley. Hang around, folks. This is an imaginary podcast which may never have happened
5: The short box showcase but then again may have about a father and daughter I'm Professor Allen and I'm Emily who came from Ohio and talked about comics Identity crisis Lone wolf and cub Herge's Tintin, white tiger It tells of their rise to glory when the great guests were yet to be booked
2: I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. It's always the
0: Jimmy Olsen hate podcast.
5: <laughs> and the great feats of editing not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, this is Ultraman Taro, And this is Ultraman Leo. And this Ultraman... Of how they spoke at length. When I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second.
3: Continuity is really the brainchild of
5: nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people Emily. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively. The bounds of a given character's history. Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has
2: with Batman.
5: Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Short Box Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Short Box Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family.
1: All right, welcome back, folks. The original air date for these episodes was January 7th, 1967. And we're going to start with The Malevolent Mummy. By Astra and all of our synopses are brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Clark and Lois accompany a famous scientist on a dig in Egypt, where Lois accidentally awakens an ancient mummy from its tomb. With Lois's life in danger, Clark changes to Superman, rescues Lois, and stops the mummy's rampage through Egypt. Alright, so we start in, uh, in Egypt, where a renowned archaeologist has located the tomb of an ancient sorcerer who practiced black magic... This sounds familiar, doesn't it? You know, isn't it a good thing this particular episode is dropping on Halloween? So, yeah, so now we gotta deal with a mummy. And there's Lois messing around with the entrance to a crypt. No harm has ever come with somebody messing around with the entrance to a crypt. And this can't possibly be a bad thing for her. I mean, no, not at all. And then, you know, she finds, when she goes into the tomb, she finds a picture of an upside-down pyramid and several sarcophaguses. But her flashlight woke up the stone, and here comes the mummy out of his sarcophagus. It's your standard animated mummy. You know, it's nothing really scary at all. Just a bipedal figure walking around wrapped in bandages. You can't see any of its body, and it walks about like a zombie and scares Lois. Meanwhile, Professor Zima has just translated a document, and it warns of a death trap just as Lois screams. Here's the translation, Mr. Kent. Behold the tomb of El
0: Kamag. Master of the Blue Stone, he who enters this tomb shall die. A death warning. Oh!
1: That's Lois. Help! Clark, help! Got a mummy chasing her. Come on. It's amazing how that timing works. Professor Zima mentions the death trap and Lois screams as if she's in a death trap. So they run outside, and Professor Z must see the mummy again. I am constantly amazed at the calmness people display in the face of these things. And then what happens next is absolutely priceless. Clark trips over a rope holding the uh, that holds the tent down and uh, fakes a sprained ankle. Yeah, I laughed. That probably wasn't meant to be funny, but I found, it, I, I found it so. So he turns into Superman, and he's off to fight the mummy. Now the professor shoots it, but as, as you would expect, guns have no effect on the mummy. Superman saves it from the mummy, and Lois points out it's alive, and Superman says something peculiar is happening. Right. Did Superman realize that all by himself? What could possibly be peculiar? Did he mean something other than the mummy that's walking around? So the mummy vanishes inside the sarcophagus, and we're left to wonder, where did he go? Ooh. Apparently, the mummy traveled by poorly drawn whirlwind, and it flips the Great Period of Giza K- of and spins it like a top. So, the mummy does what any of you would do with the uh, spinning pyramid. He orders it to destroy the woman who went to this tomb. Oh,
2: mighty Kufu,
0: I command you to find the woman who entered my tomb. And destroy her.
1: as it is written, she must die. I guess if you can't do the job yourself, you send an upside- down pyramid. So along with the clerk of shopping, when all hell breaks loose, and here comes the Great Pyramid, Lois connected to the picture in the tomb, and Clark changes into Superman. I think this episode got the most changes in Superman that I've seen in a six minutes. So this pyramid is kind of running through town, destroying buildings as if it were a tornado. And here's an interesting bit: Superman refers to his time as Superboy here, and he literally picks up a pyramid and lets it spin on his hand while he's flying. You know. I mean, there's not a lot of continuity here, but it's nice to see the writers of Superman acknowledging that, acknowledging the Superboy bits. So, the Superboy segments are definitely this Superman when he was a boy. So, I think that's a, that's a cool connection. There's also a cool image of Superman flying while balancing the pyramid on the palm of his hand. You really get a sense of, of scale here how much bigger the pyramid is than Superman. But, as he's uh, flying by the desert, Superman flips the pyramid and puts it away right back where the mummy uh, picked it up. And, um... Here comes the whirlwind again, and it sucks Superman into it and basically makes him dizzy. And the mummy is now harassing the professor. He buries the professor with... Kill Kima with El Kimag, and I thought the mummy was El Kimag, so I guess I must have missed a turn someplace. So these rocks falling on the professor did a very good job of missing him. He must be the luckiest man alive with all of the animated rocks just to fall around the animated professor. And Superman rescues the professor, the tomb caves in, and the mummy is gone. Really? That's it? I know I'm running out of time, but I was expecting more. I guess Superman can not have his showdown with the mummy, which is kind of disappointing. Now, Lois and Clark are at the airport for the flight home, and Lois gives Clark a mummy figurine, Flight 409
0: for Metropolis, USA, departing at gate 6. A souvenir for you. No
1: more monkey business, you understand? I wonder if Bud Collier flubbed his line when he should have said, mummy business. That would have made more sense. Why would he wink after saying monkey business? There were no monkeys in this episode that I saw. Did you see any monkeys? Maybe if he said mummy business and the animation winks, you know, that fits, but usually the long, the last line of the episode is something that pertains to the episode, so to say monkey business here was just, and then still give the wink, was kind of weird. So, let's move on. The Revolt of Robot or as they say in this episode, Robot And this is written by Oscar Bensal. And our synopsis is, Clark and Lana are visiting a futuristic city populated by robots, or as they call them in this episode, robots. when a deranged scientist tries to make the robots attack. Yeah, that's pretty much the plot in a nutshell. There's really not much to this. You know, Robotville USA is being visited by Clark and Lana. You know, and it gives you a very Disney Tomorrowland type of feel
4: robots isn't an exciting card uh-huh. it's a city of the future lana with robot policemen directing traffic and look robot workers building houses even robot shopkeepers and robot bank tellers oh look over there robot soldiers oh they look so so real don't they wow Look at that! Good grief! They look so real! Come on, let's go watch their maneuvers. Watch out! Duck, Lana!
1: But my question is, what becomes of humans in a society run runs by robots? And this is kind of a real-world issue now, as so many jobs of the past are now being done by machine, and now you only seem like you need people to operate said machine. I mean, so many jobs that were around in 1966 are a thing of the past now, and there don't seem to be enough new kinds of jobs to replace the ones that are lost. So... The difficult situation is we be into a more advanced technological society. But the robot soldiers are shooting at the people, and Superboy shows up to stop the revolt. Here comes dutiful Crypto, ever by his side. And I love the dynamic with Superboy and his dog. I mean, and I was really never a fan of Crypto before, but... This series is definitely making me a fan of crypto, and I look forward to eventually reading more Superman comics with crypto in them, or Superboy comics for that matter. Not much to say here, as Superboy and Crypto fight the robot soldiers, bullets are bouncing off of them, and they take out the tanks and the soldiers. If you like superhero robot smash-ups, this one is definitely for you. Now, once everything calms down, Superboy talk- talks to Dr. Frazier, one of the engineers. Relax, folks. They won't cause you any
4: more trouble
0: question is, what made those robots go wild? I can explain that, Superboy. I'm Dr. Fraser, one of the engineers of the Robotville project. And your explanation, sir? Apparently, some quirk in the soldier robot circuits caused them to act on their own. That sounds wild, Dr. Fraser. Not really. After all, robot brain circuits are refined electronic versions of a human brain. I see. But I... <laughs> I assure you, uh, this can't possibly happen again.
4: <laughs> Good. In that case, we're not needed here anymore, Crypto. So let's go. Up! Up!
0: And away!
1: Do you believe him? And uh, I don't believe him either. So now, uh, Clark plays the meek role to the hilt here as he asks Lana if it's safe to come out now. So the next scene shows that Dr. Fraser is controlling the robot rebellion, and he unleashes a bunch of flying robots who abduct Clark and Lana it's going to make things interesting for Clark. How is he going to get away and turn into Superboy when the time comes? Dr. Frazier reveals his villainy and takes everybody hostage, you know.
0: Attention, everyone! You are my hostages! Hostages? Oh dear. You Remain here until my flying robots raid a steel mill for supplies to replace the soldier robots destroyed by
1: you <laughs> Always love when you, you know you're on a field trip. You're checking out the tourist site, and to some guy. Uh, up on stage says, "Congratulations, you are all my hostages." So Clark uses X-ray vision combined with his heat vision to turn the lights out. And this is an interesting effect here, where Superboy seems to fight in the dark, and all you see are silhouettes. You see Superboy punch out robots, and Lana looks for Clark. So Superboy flies away after the robots, and it's not the greatest fight in the world, but I love the image as Superboy saves a steel worker from getting killed by molten steel. The superheated metal just drains off Superboy's body off the sides of his cape. A nice animation. It reminds me of one of the Fleischer cartoons, a very iconic shot. I wish I remember which one it was where Superman and Lois are in a similar situation and Superman, the molten metal pours over them and Superman just holds his cape over them and it turns to the side. I wish I remember what episode that was, but it's one of the more iconic image, images of the Fleischer cartoons. So the robots go home and Superboy is blocking the entrance and they're just kind of bouncing off them and turning into scrap metal. Clearly uh, no match for him. So Superboy has made Robotville safe again. And Lana is putting things together.
4: Cart vanishes here. Hmm. That's very suspicious, Superboy. Oh, now, don't jump to conclusions, Lana. Clark was so sick with fright, I had Crypto take him home. Look, look, there they go now. (laughs) Oh, Superboy, what a silly notion thinking you were Clark Kent. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry.
1: Pointing out that after Clark disappears, when Sits with Superboy shows up, but Superboy has an answer for that, and he dressed one of the flying robots as Clark, and he showed Crypto taking Clark home. Clever, and Superboy winks, knowing that he got away with it. I wonder if this is the genesis of the Superman robot, and I wonder if we'll see any Superman robots down the line. So that was a pretty good episode. <laughs> And we're going to move right on to The Birdmen from Lost Valley by George Cashton. An Arson goes goes Flying into the Daily Planet News helicopter, Jimmy spots a flock of birdmen stealing from the local farmland. In the farm
4: area beyond city limits, a flock of birds that look like men. I mean, men that look like birds. I mean, holy smokes, I'm not sure, but whatever they are, they're attacking the farmlands. Jesus, it looks like organized looting and pillaging and... and... Some of them are stealing sacks of grain. Others are raiding the refrigerated storehouses. You should see what's going on here. (laughs) Now they're even grabbing up farm animals.
1: Hearing Jimmy's report, Clark changes into Superman and follows the Birdmen. We meant no
0: harm to humans. We live in peace here, where these flowers give off gases which keep our species alive. Then why did you raid the outside world? Because an outsider is starving us. That's a lot of nonsense. Anyone who works is fed. Who are you? My name is Trask. I found gold in this valley, and my men and I uh, persuaded these bird beings to mine that gold. And those who refused went hungry, eh? That's about the size of it. Well, Trask, I've got news for you. Yeah? Like what? Like start packing, now. You don't give me orders, Superman. Oh, really? Well, let's... Hold it! We've sprayed those life giving plants with chemicals. One blast from our flamethrowers and they'll go up in smoke. No, you wouldn't. No one can be so low. I'll warn you, don't
1: try me. Superman sets things straight. So, you know, when when this episode started, it looked as though I saw Clark and Jimmy in the Daily Planet helicopter. But when the uh, pilot spoke, he uh, didn't sound like Bud Collier. But it's definitely the Clark model, just with sunglasses on instead of the regular glasses. So apparently these uh, bird creatures, they look like bird men, I guess. They're purplish. They have, uh, you know, feet and wings and beaks. But they can talk, so I guess we'll consider them bird men. So they're, like I said, they're raiding the local farm, stealing cattle, grain, and a whole bunch of stuff. And then the next scene is what convinced me that Clark wasn't in the helicopter at all. Because Clark is at his office. I mean, did they have to draw the helicopter pilot to look exactly like Clark? Couldn't they have, you know, drawn him a little different? Maybe uh maybe some blonde hair, maybe a little pudgy guy, maybe wearing a pilot's outfit and not a not a two piece suit. I don't know. So Clark hears Jimmy's report and changes into Superman, who flies from left to right on your screen. The so Superman kind of flies in and out of the birds, kind of knocking them around, and they have no chance against Superman. And they uh need to distract him, so they uh, push down a silo, distracting Superman. And these birds are moving fast, and now they're harassing the helicopter, and Superman is in a predicament. He can't let go of the silo to save the chopper, but then something unexpected happens. Two of the birdmen save the chopper and lower it to the ground. And I like this notion here, as the pilot points out the birdmen who saved them. You know, Jimmy points out that they can't be all bad, and that's true of any group of people. And I'm not to get preachy here in the podcast, but well a group of people could be considered evil or dangerous or something like that because of whichever reason, that doesn't mean everyone in the group is engaged in that kind of behavior. There can be good people on the other side that you may even agree with or may even agree with you. So. In a group of people, not everybody is good or all good or all bad. There are good people on both sides, even if nobody wants to admit that. The Superman is looking into uh, that as he follows the Birdmen into the Root of the World. Apparently, the Root of the World is the valley where the Birdmen live, and they reveal that they are kept alive in a valley by the gas of the local flower. And they raided the outside world because this outsider is starving them. And here is a random farmer, Trask, who found gold in the valley, and he and his men appear to have enslaved the Birdmen. He is definitely not a good man. And this trash is a real piece of work. He sprayed the flowers that keep the Birdmen alive, and he'll set it aflame if Superman tries to stop him. Apparently, this gold is so important to him that he will kill the Birdmen to get to it, to keep Superman from stopping it. I'm not sure if this would stop, necessarily stop Superman from stopping him. I think it would just make Superman mad. But it's a flaw in his plan. So the Birdmen take matters into their own hands, and Trask and his men burn the plants, dooming the Birdmen, at least seemingly. So Superman puts out the fire, saving the plants, and defeats the bad guys. You know, I do love Superman's reaction when Trask's men turn the flamethrower on him. You know, it's almost like he's saying, you guys are kidding me, right? And he's taking joy in the fact that they can't hurt him, and, you know, that does me a world of good. And I like that. So, we learn that the uh, fire didn't touch the roots, and the plants will grow back. The fire
0: didn't touch the plant roots. They'll grow back to full bloom. Yes, and thank you again, Superman. As for this bunch, I promise neither they nor anyone else will ever again come to trouble you.
1: And the Birdmen are grateful to Superman for freeing them from trash As Superman flies them to prison, and then the ending. Uh... And that's the Birdman
0: story, Jimmy, as told by Superman. Wow! Terrific. Yeah, but by the way, Mr. Kent, do you know where that valley is located? Well, yes, Jimmy, but I promised to keep it strictly secret
1: between Superman and me. Clark has the Birdman story from Superman and, you know, someone should tell Clark that it's a little bit unethical to get to interview yourself for a story it's probably i hope it's not a one source story i hope to some kind of confirmation but nobody else was there so it's almost this superman were writing the story so and i really wonder about the credibility of the daily planet these days he's writing he's writing some fantastic stories about what superman's up to i mean birdman space adventure this is the kind of stuff you'd expect in uh like the national Enquirer or something or in a dc comics case the national whisper not necessarily the greatest newspaper in the whole world so clark says he knows where the valley is but that's between he and superman and he says that with a wink the wink never gets old so we get a little morality play here taught us the evil of slavery and a little bit about learning everything you need to know about the situation before judging uh you know little life lessons that would do any kid good you know in the world we're in today some of these lessons might uh do some adults good too you never know but that's it for season one next time we'll begin season two with the Superman episodes, Ape, A-P-E, Strikes Again, The Lethal Lightning Bug, The Prankster, The Saboteurs, and the Superboy episodes, The Beast with Two Faces, and The Gorilla Gang. And if you'd like to write into the show, you can do so at manofscreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put the Man of Screen podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. And you can find the show on Twitter, at Man Screencast. And if you don't mind, uh, why don't you leave the show a review over on iTunes? That, that'll help other people find the show. So, until next time, folks. I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, all no opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright they their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.tutruefreaks.com. If you shop at amazon.com, please consider using the link at twutruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the two true freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Emails to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen podcast.